0: This is episode number fifty with Anita Munjani. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell you two very exciting things. You can now pre-order my next book, Open Wide, The Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And if you pre-order before the 18th of December, you can get your hands on some epic bonuses such as retreats, juju cups, hotels, jade eggs, organic makeup, a Holden car for a weekend, books, meditations, and even a scholarship to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. How epic is that? All you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide. And on that page, you will find all the details to pre-order and claim your bonuses. So head there now. The second super exciting announcement is that my husband and I are collaborating to bring you the Open Wide tour around Australia in January and February, 2018. This is a celebration of Nick's music and to celebrate the release of my next book, Open Wide. Now imagine a TED Talk meets Coldplay concert. It's a fusion of music, meditation and motivation. And you can get your tickets for that at com. Anita is an international speaker and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Dying to be Me, and her latest book, What If This is Heaven? She is a woman with a remarkable story. After four years battling cancer, Anita fell into a coma and was given days to To live. As her doctors gathered to revive her, she journeyed into a near death experience. And without giving too much away, because her story is so amazing, Anita's near death experience has captured the hearts and attention of millions across the globe. I read Anita's book many, many years ago now, maybe like six years ago, and It changed my life. It is so powerful and so potent, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. In today's episode, we chat about her inspiring near-death experience, the life-changing lesson she learned from it, and how it changed everything for her, how to transform fear into love, what fear actually does to your body, mind and soul, why love is the answer to everything, why supporting yourself and surrounding yourself with supportive people is imperative for your healing, plus so much more this episode is life-changing. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 50. Guys, I am so excited for you to hear this episode. I cry in it. I have goosebumps all over my body, and I just cannot wait to dive in. So let's bring on the one and only Anita Munjani. Welcome, Anita. I am so excited to be chatting with you. You have been such an inspiration to me. But before we dive deep into our episode today, can you please tell
1: us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) This morning, I had an omelette, a mushroom omelette for breakfast. (laughs) Oh, beautiful. Well,
0: like I said, I'm so excited to have you on the show because not many people can say they have had a true near death experience. And personally, I have never spoken to anyone who has, but you have. And I've read your best selling book, which is amazing, by the way. But for those that don't know your amazing story, can you please share it with
1: us? I'd be happy to share it with you. Actually, I'm just an ordinary person that had something really extraordinary happen to me. And one of the reasons I share it is because I honestly believe that it will help people to know this. Um, and February the 2nd, 2006 should have been the last day of my life because at that point I had end-stage cancer and it was lymphoma, and I had been battling it for four years, and it had spread. Um, it it spread throughout my lymphatic system, and it had metastasized into my breasts and into my abdomen. So I had tumors, many of them the size of golf balls, and these tumors were from the base of my skull all around my neck, under my arms, in my breasts and all the way down into my abdomen. And at that point, which was like by the time I was in the fourth year of battling the disease, it had spread so much that my body had stopped absorbing nutrition. And so my muscles started to deteriorate and my lungs were filled with fluid. I weighed about 85 pounds and because my lungs were filled with fluid, I couldn't even lie flat. If I lied flat, I would choke on my own fluid. So I was breathing with the aid of oxygen. I was constantly connected to oxygen. And because my muscles had deteriorated and I wasn't absorbing nutrition, I couldn't walk. Um, so I was either on a wheelchair or in bed, basically those were my only two places, either in a wheelchair or in bed. And on February the 2nd, 2006, um, my organs shut down and I went into a coma. And that was when the doctors told my family that these were my final hours because now my organs were shutting down and they said that I was going through the dying process and one by one my organs were shutting down. And so there I was in the hospital in the intensive care unit in a coma with my body connected to all these machines to a heart rate monitor and oxygen. I also had a food pipe for nutrition because I wasn't eating anything and the doctors were constantly draining fluid from my lungs so that I could breathe. And even though my eyes were closed and I was already like um, dying, I was, I'd started the dying process. I was um aware of everything that was happening all around me, everything that was happening around my physical body. It was like I could see everything. It was like I had 360 degree peripheral vision. It was not like normal sight, not like the way how you look out from your eyes. Um It was very different because my eyes were closed, but it was more like... um I could, I was aware of everything all around me at once. When we look through our normal eyes, we kind of have to turn our head and focus on wherever we're looking. But from this perspective, it was like I wasn't looking out from the eyes in my physical body. It was like I was outside my body and I could see everything all around the room. I could see all the, um, the nurses, poking needles and tubes into me. I could see my family. And then I could even see my physical body. But what I remember most clearly, more than anything, was how I felt. Because I wasn't in my physical body any longer. I felt incredible. It was like all the pain was gone. I mean, I had been in so much pain and so much discomfort. And now all the pain was gone. And I had been in so much fear. I feared the cancer. I feared the treatments. I feared death. I feared everything about it. So, And now even all the fear was gone. And I felt so incredible, like so light and free. And um, I remember also feeling as though I was enveloped in this feeling of love, just this incredible, unconditional love, um, something I don't remember ever feeling in physical life before because, um, I'd always felt my whole life that I had to work really hard at being worthy and deserving of love. And now here on the other, on the other side of the veil, um, it felt as though I was loved Just because I existed, I didn't have to do anything to prove myself. I was loved just because I existed. And it wasn't as if I was loved by a specific being. It was like I was loved by the whole universe, the all that is, like everything. And then as I started to spend more time in that realm, I started to recognize Um, deceased loved ones, people who had passed away, particularly my dad. He had passed away 10 years prior and I recognized him. Um, he had come to greet me and he wanted me to know that he had been looking out for me. And, um, and so much happened and I can, and I can get into it as we go further, but, but, um, you know, With my dad, I had, when I was growing up, I had had a turbulent relationship and I had always felt that I had let him down and I had disappointed him because my parents are Hindu, you know, I was, I was born, uh, I'm ethnically Indian and my parents are Hindu and I had always felt I disappointed them because they wanted me to have an arranged marriage, but I ran away and, uh, and I'd done all kinds of things to bring shame to him and to the community. And I thought that I would be judged for it when I crossed over. And here I was with my dad, and I felt no judgment whatsoever. All I felt from him was pure, unconditional love, no judgment whatsoever. And that was when I realized that when we cross over, we don't just leave behind our physical bodies. But we also leave behind our gender, our race, our culture, and our layers of beliefs that we've accumulated over a lifetime. All of this, you know, our religion, all of it, is part of being here in the physical. It doesn't cross over with us, and we believe that all these things um, are important, and they make us more or bigger than who we are. I realized when I crossed over that all of these things, our race, our gender, our culture, um, um, our religion, all of these things are labels that actually limit us. Mm -hmm. Who we actually are is much, much greater because what crosses over is our pure essence. Our pure essence. We can call it pure love or pure God, but it is so much bigger than Anything we can label it, and so when I was in that realm, without all of this, all these layers, um, I understood that, um, and I and and there was my dad as well, without all of his layers, and so there was his pure essence and my pure essence, and all we had for each other was pure. Unconditional love. And that's when I understood that as much as I had been a victim of my culture, so had my dad. And he had never meant to push me into an arranged marriage or he'd never meant to be disappointed in me. It was just the way that he was brought up. He was brought up to believe that the best thing he could do for his daughter is to find her a suitable husband. And um, and so when we were in this other realm, it was just his pure essence and my pure essence. And that's when I understood that underneath all these layers, we are pure. We're pure God. We're pure energy. We're pure love. And I realized that really all there is in that realm is pure, unconditional love. Um, a lot happened while I was there, but I reached a point where my dad wanted me to know that it wasn't my time to die and that I needed to go back. And no part of me wanted to come back because my physical body was suffering. Um, so I had been suffering. My family had been suffering, taking care of me. My, my husband and my mom had been looking after me. So no part of me wanted me to come back. But my dad wanted me to know that I hadn't completed my purpose yet and that if I didn't go back, um, I wouldn't have completed my purpose. And he wanted me to know that my purpose was linked with my husband's purpose. And also, um, while I was in that realm, It felt like I was in this, um, I would say like a realm of clarity where I understood, um, I understood why I had come into this life. I understood why I had cancer. I understood how every thought and every decision that I had made in my life had led to that point of me lying there in that hospital bed dying. And it was when I had that clarity that I realized that now that I knew this truth, if I chose to go back, my body would heal very, very quickly. I also like started to understand that we are much, much more powerful than we've ever been led to believe. We're capable of so much more than we've ever been led to believe. Our physical bodies are much smarter than we've ever been led to believe. And it was at that point, I felt all this clarity that my dad wanted me to know uh, that now that I knew the truth of who I really was, that I needed to go back. And, And so at that point, I made the decision to come back into my physical body and As soon as I made the decision to come back into my physical body, my dad said to me, go back and live your life fearlessly. And that's when I started to come out of the coma. And when I came out of the coma, I was delirious. It was like, it was like I had one foot on each side. It was like, um, I was really confused and my eyes were opening but i was still so weak and i was so um delirious and i was just saying to my family that dad is here he says it's not my time i'm going to be fine i'm not going to die and so my family they were ecstatic to hear me say this but um they you know but they were confused because i was like half asleep my eyes were like half opening and i had been in the coma for 30 hours and Um, And they had all been by my bedside and my brother who had been in another country had got on a flight and come to see me because he wanted to get to me before I died. So my brother was there as well. And so I just started talking and saying, I'm going to be fine. Dad says I'm going to be fine. It's not my time to die. And they started to get really happy. My family saying, oh, she's coming out of the coma. She's coming out of the coma. So they called the doctor who came in, and when the doctor came in, I recognized him by name, even though I had never seen him before I had went into the coma, which surprised him because he was was the doctor that had been tending to me earlier while I was in the coma. And then I started to tell everyone conversations that I had heard while I was in the coma, and I started to tell them Everything that I had seen, like I would point out and say, that was the nurse that tried to put the tube into my veins and they couldn't. And that was the doctor that was taking fluid out of my lungs so that I could breathe. And so my family and even the doctor, they were wondering what was going on. And the doctor just kept telling my family, she's still critical. Don't raise your hopes. She's not nowhere out of the woods yet. Um, but over the next few days, they started to see that I didn't, I wasn't going back into the coma and I was getting stronger. And in four days, the tumor shrunk by 70%. And I was sitting up and I was telling them, you've got to take the tubes out. I know I'm going to be fine. And it took a while to convince them that they, the doctors wanted to take every kind of test to see what was going on. But within three weeks they noticed that the tumors were almost completely gone and they were doing lymph node biopsies and bone marrow biopsies and, and I and which were really painful. And I kept telling them, you don't need to do those tests because I know the cancer is going, it's gone. They could not believe how fast the cancer just disappeared. They didn't even know what to write in my medical records. And the main oncologist, he even said to me, he said, you're lucky to be alive. He said, I don't even know what to write in your medical records. I've never seen anything like this. And finally, at the end of five weeks, that's five weeks after I went into the coma, I was healthy enough for them to release me from the hospital. And that was in March of 2006. So I went home to live my life cancer free and I have been since then. Oh my gosh. I'm just digesting everything that
0: you have said and I just went on such a journey with you. Thank you so much for sharing and I'm absolutely speechless because I've never met anyone who has experienced what you've experienced and what did that feel like? Like you you said unconditional love. Like I know in the book you say you like can't put it into words. Like but can you try and like
1: just tell us what it felt like? Oh, it was just Incredible, there really are no no words, but yet it's like you feel completely safe and protected, and this feeling that you you just ah oh, just completely relaxed, and there's nothing you can do that's wrong, like no matter what you do you're not you can't be proven wrong, and so you feel no shame. I mean, you just feel, I just felt completely relaxed. So if you imagine yourself now with whatever tensions or anything, it's like just like a big burden has been taken off your body and you just feel completely safe. And as if somebody who's very, um, Paternal or maternal, whichever way, has just wrapped their arms around you and has said to you, just give me all your problems and you never have to worry about anything ever, ever, ever again. I'm with you and I'll never leave you. If you can imagine that, it's as though we are, it felt like I was that protected. Wow.
0: And Do you know what I love so much in your book? Because I read your book so many years ago and when I knew I was going to be interviewing you, I went back over and looked over my book notes. So I I had created an Evernote document with all of my book notes and one of them that was in bold and underlined (laughs) was when you said you were given this powerful truth and that truth was heaven is not a destination, it is a state of
1: being. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. So what I realized when I was there was that this feeling I felt, this feeling of feeling so safe and so loved, it's available to me all the time, but I just never knew that. And the truth is that all of us, we actually are extremely safe and loved and there is nothing we can do that is wrong because the worst thing that can happen is that we die and we're back there again in this beautiful place and in this beautiful state of being. But in actuality, we are being loved all the time, but we, but it's conditioned out of us. So this is why we start to control our lives from a place of fear because we don't realize we don't have to do that. We don't have to live from this place of fear and control and rigidity and stress and worry. We can actually go, oh, I'm just letting it all go because there is something bigger, there's a bigger part of us, an infinite part of us that continues to live beyond us, beyond this physical body. And that infinite part of us is the part of us that keeps our heart beating and, you know, keeps us healing. And like, for example, when you cut yourself, you heal anyway. When you get the flu, you heal anyway. But because we have been conditioned to believe that our bodies are not as smart as they actually are, we intervene and we get in the way and we're constantly trying to heal ourselves. And the more we work at healing ourselves, the more we're sending ourselves the message that our body needs intervention, that our bodies are not that smart. And we do that with every aspect of our life when actually we are well cared for, we are loved, we are protected, but we just don't let go to find that out for ourselves. And when we realize we are protected, that is the state of heaven. When we can actually feel that you know, that being enveloped in that feeling of love and that safety and that relaxation, that is available to us 24-7 and that is the state of heaven, but we're just not aware of it.
0: Why? Why aren't we aware of it? Like, why are so many people suffering and why are we just, it's making me so emotional just even talking about it. Like, why are so many people suffering?
1: It's really sad. And it is to do with our conditioning um, because everything that we are conditioned is the opposite of what we really need to know in order to live a healthy, fulfilling, happy, and love filled life. Everything. So when we're born, because, you know, when I came back from this near death experience and I watched my body heal, I knew I was already healed and I was watching my body catch up with what I already knew as soon as I came back, I knew I was already healed. And so I watched my physical body catch up. And then I was euphoric when I first came back. But the scary part was then going back to the old community and thinking, okay, how am I now going to integrate into the very community or paradigm or culture where I got cancer in the first place? So My point here being that, um, so the first thing I wanted to know was why did I have to die to figure this out? Why doesn't everybody know this? And then I realized actually we're born knowing this because just what just happened to me was I died and I was reborn, but I was reborn as an adult. And, and, um, coming from that state of death, I came here knowing that We are loved. We're loved unconditionally. We are expressions of, of God. We're all facets of God. There are only two types of people. And those two types are those who know they are facets of God and those, those who don't. There is nobody who is not an expression of God. There's nobody who is not loved. There are only those who don't know they are. That's, and, and I, and I thought, why did I have to die to learn it? And I realized actually, we know it when we're born, because what just happened to me was a rebirth. So when we're born the first time, we have come from this state, from the state of knowing our connection to the universe. We come from the state of knowing that we are all facets of uh, of consciousness or God, or we can call it whatever we want. We're all connected because we are all part of one consciousness, and we enter this world knowing it. But it gets conditioned out of us. Our education system conditions it out of us. Like it teaches us we're separate. And so we gotta, we, we've got to compete with everyone else around us and we've got to be better than everyone. We're taught there isn't enough to go around. So I've got to be better than everyone to get what there is, to be first, to get it. When in actuality, there's more than enough to go around and if we collaborated, we would be much more successful for ourselves and we would be so much kinder to the planet. Um, we are conditioned from the time we're young that the only way to measure success is through money and what that's done is that's made us extremely destructive about everything else, about our health, about the state of the planet, because we seem to really believe the only way to measure success is money. And so we go after money at all cost, which is really sad because actually the people, you know, I mean, there's so many people who are miserable, but they all believe that the answer to their problems is money. When in actuality, if we learned to measure success in terms of Energy, the amount of energy we have, the amount of freedom we have, the amount of joy we have, all of these things are so much more conducive to true success than just money because there are a lot of people who are tied to jobs they hate because with the job comes the house and the car and so on, and, and they tie it to their self-worth because that's the way they measure their success. And all of this is our conditioning. When, But when you know who you truly are, you know that you are powerful and worthy, even if you have nothing in the way of material things. But here's the dichotomy. When you know how worthy you are and how loved you are, you always attract what is truly yours. It just unfolds.
0: So, when you did integrate back into society, how did you navigate your way through? the fear of the collective consciousness, like it must have been so challenging to kind of come back in to society when you're picking up on this
1: collective consciousness of fear. And how did you integrate? That was extremely challenging. And I understand why transformation is so hard, even when people attend a workshop or a retreat or something that really where they feel the transformation, The challenge is going back into their old society or their community. You know, it's like if an alcoholic uh, goes to rehabilitation, then if he has to go back after he's rehabilitated, if he has to go back to the community where he became an alcoholic in the first place, that is really challenging because his same old friends are doing the same old things. So I used to be a doormat and a people pleaser. I was someone that was always really non-confrontational and I gave and gave of myself and I had really low self-esteem and I always made myself small and I always felt like I had to work really hard to be worthy and to hold on to my friends. And that was the community that I belonged to and grew up in. And I, the friends I attracted, I attracted by being that person. And so everybody I knew knew me as that person. But that was the person who made herself so small that she got cancer. I got cancer because I lived my life from a place of fear, fear of displeasing people, fear of not measuring up to uh, what other people wanted me to be, fear of disappointing people. And when the when I was in the uh, near-death experience, when I was in that realm or on the other side of the veil, I understood that that was why I got cancer and that I was meant to shine my light, and I understood that everything that we had been conditioned to believe is the opposite of what we really need to believe in order for our lives to work. So when I came back, I thought, oh my gosh, there's no way that anybody is going to um, believe what I'm going to, what I tell them, because the things I realized is that everything we've been conditioned by our education system, by our governments, even by our medical system. I mean, for example, um, there is so much focus on illness, but I realize that the way to true health is not about obsessing over our health or about focusing on cancer and cancer awareness, which is what we do. We have all these cancer awareness programs The way to true health, the true measure of the quality of your life, is your desire and your will to live. It's about focusing on living life fully and finding your joy and your passion and having a reason to live. That is the path to health. And it's not about focusing on cancer and learning about breast awareness and constantly feeling for lumps. When you do that, you start to fear your breasts. You start to fear the hands that are touching your breasts and you start to fear what you're going to find. No, when you touch yourself, it has to be from a place of love and nurturing and loving your body, not from a place of fear and looking for illness. So I learned that um from being in the other realm, that all these things we've been conditioned is completely the opposite. We need to be focusing on living well, living healthy, living with joy, living with passion, not focused on looking for illness. Even our medical system, it's not a healthcare system. It's an illness scare system. Um And even our governments are not about how we should all live together as a community, but it's more about making us fear everybody that's different. And so we all, every system we have, even, and this is provocative, um, but even our religious systems, they're based on fear of retribution in the afterlife, as opposed to being based in love. So I realized that the only truth is love. And the only way to transcend fear is by increasing love. So when I started talking about these things to the people around me, that it starts with loving ourselves. And I would talk to them about the healthcare system and how wrong it is. People said that I was delusional, you know, and they said that I, was, um, that I wasn't being realistic and this is not how the way the world works. So I I knew that if I tried to fit in with everybody again, if this new person I had now become tried to fit in in the old community, in the old society, I would go back to being that person who got cancer. I would again be worried about, can I keep up with everyone? And I would be worried about getting cancer and worried about the foods I eat and everything would be from a place of fear because that's how they all lived. So. My husband and I, we moved. We actually left the town we lived in and moved to a different town and started life afresh. And I really believe that it's so hard to have to transform your life when you are in your old community and your old paradigm. So I started life afresh in a town, in a neighborhood where nobody knew us. So I could experiment being this new person. I could get to know who I was in the safety of knowing that nobody around me knew me. And so slowly I, I had to spend time alone. I turned inward and then I joined a community of people online who had had near death experiences. And I got a lot of assurance from them that I wasn't crazy and what I felt really was What I went through really happened to me, so that was really good. And over the years, I started really putting into practice everything that I learned in the other realm. And if I can summarize what it was that I learned, um, the biggest thing was I learned it was really important to love myself. I'd never loved myself. I had always forsaken myself, put myself down, treated myself like a doormat. The second thing I learned, which is extremely important, is that I learned that to have an inside out view of the world instead of an outside in view of the world, we're taught that the outside world is real. And so our Inner world, which is our emotions, is always reacting to the outer world. And we believe we have no control over the outer world. Or when we try to control it, we physically try to control it. And then we get stressed and our inner emotions get even more messed up. What I learned in the other realm is that in reality, it's an, the world is an inside out world, not an outside in world. What we experience on the outside is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. When I healed internally, when my spirit healed, my soul healed, or my emotions healed, when I came back, my physical body reflected that. I, when I came back, I knew I was healed and then my physical body started to reflect it. The same thing. It's, this is what's happening in our world all the time. When we, when, when we don't like what's happening in the world, it's not about going out and changing the world. It's about healing the inside. And each one of us is only responsible for healing ourselves inside. And so instead of reacting to the world, we are creating the world. Right now, when we, because we've been taught to have an outside in view, we are reacting to the outer world. But if only we knew that our world is inside out, we would be creating our world. So that was the biggest lesson I learned. And so I started creating my own world by nourishing and taking care of who I am on the inside. And I started to see my life pan out in ways that I thought it would from what I had seen in the other realm. And I set my story free on the internet And it was discovered by Wayne Dyer and then he invited me to speak on stage and then Hay House published my book and then it went on to be a New York Times bestseller and so on. And all this was happening. And I had seen that something like this would happen when I was in the other realm. And so today, when my old friends, they've come back into my life again, the ones um, who I had left behind for my old paradigm. Once I was comfortable enough in the new me, I was able to go back to them and be with them. And they say things to me like, oh my gosh, I really envy your life. And how do you do what you do? And if I, I want to do what you do, how do I do it? And I say to them, you just have to be delusional because those are, those are the very people that said to me I was delusional when I came back and told them. <laughs> Wow.
0: So, for someone who may have just got a diagnosis from the doctors or someone they love is dying or something is happening in their life right now, which is causing enormous amounts of fear... What can they do? Because when you're in it, it can feel incredibly challenging. So if they've just received some news or someone they love is dying and there's fear swimming through every cell in their entire body, what can they do right now?
1: There's a whole bunch of things that um, that they can do. So number one is I would ask them questions like, um, uh, have you suffered a trauma recently? Are you lonely? Are there people in your life who love you, who you love? I would ask them questions like this and, um, and then have them evaluate those kinds of things. Like if there are people in your life who you love and who love you, if they say no, I would actually say, seek out people you love, spend time with people you love and who love you. Um, and if they say they've suffered a trauma recently, like a, a divorce or something like that, or a death, somebody close to them died, I would ask them to seek out help for that because all these things feed into uh, physical illnesses. The other thing I would say to them is in terms of the treatments, see, one of the things that happened with me was when I chose alternative treatment, the doctors and all the people who are, uh, more pro-conventional treatment, they all said I was crazy and I needed to do what the doctors were say, saying. When I chose normal conventional treatment, like chemotherapy and all, the people who are into alternatives said I was crazy. I was killing myself because I was putting to- toxins into my body. So uh, when I died, I realized It's not the treatment that's important, it's what you believe the treatment is doing that's important. So I would ask them, what do you feel, what course of treatment do you feel will support your body right now? And if they don't feel comfortable with the doctor they're with, if the doctor is making them feel fearful, I would encourage them to change doctors. I really would. I would want them to work with a team of people who are going to support them on their journey and not make them feel fearful of their journey. They need to feel that their body is healing. So that's the, the second thing. Um, and, and I would tell the, whoever is around them, friends and so on, like, don't make them feel they're making the wrong choice. They need to feel that their physical body is healing. Um, the third thing I would uh, ask them is, if you had a clean bill of health tomorrow, what would you do with the rest of your life? What would you do if you're given your life back? What are you going to do? And, the answer you're looking for is like, you know, if they're given their life, what is it they're passionate about? Because basically an illness is a wake-up call. And if they they have no idea what they're going to do and they're just going to go back and live the life they were living yesterday, well, that was the life that has caused them to have this wake-up call. So they need to reevaluate that. And And so if you say to them that, look, if If you are about to die or you had a near death experience and then you suddenly you're given this gift of life, what would you do to celebrate? What would you do to celebrate your clean bill of health? And then whatever it is they say that they would do to celebrate, if they say, "Oh my gosh, I would spend more time with my family, I would do get I would spend more time on my hobbies, I would travel more. I would tell them, to start doing that now. start doing, living that life now, that life that you are waiting for the clean bill of health to live, live it now because you need to have your will to live, to heal. It's not about fighting disease. It's not about fearing illness. It's not about fearing death. It's about having that will to live and that passion to live and the reason to live. That's what's the most important thing. That's what I would tell them.
0: That's So brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, These are things that we aren't taught in school and things that we don't talk about, but everything that you have just said is just so powerful. So thank you so, so much.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. I wish doctors would tell
0: people that. I really do. Gosh, I know. I know. Can you imagine if they just sat them down
1: and asked them those three questions? Can you imagine? I know we, it would be so different. It would be totally. And the other thing is when somebody is cancer free, the doctor always tells them they're in remission. I always tell people, because you know, remission keeps them in this fear that the cancer might come back within five years. I always tell people that when the doctor says you're in remission, don't take that word in. Tell yourself that I am done with cancer. And the word remission means it's time for me to remember my mission.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. I have full body goosebumps that yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh. Because I've seen it and we've all seen it. And I'm guessing every single person who is listening to this either knows someone very close to them who has had cancer or, or you know, someone not so close, but we all know this story and it's too common. And, you know, this is why I just love your message so much. And I just wish every single human being on this planet gets this episode in their ears or or picks
1: up your book because it's just so important. Wow. Thank you. And that's why I share my story because really I'm just an or a regular person. I'm an ordinary person and I had this experience and I just feel I have to, you know, set the story free. I just want everybody to know this because I feel that we have created a paradigm that actually creates illness. It Encourage it fosters illness, whereas I know we need to do the opposite if we really want to be healthy and thriving. Mm, Absolutely. Now,
0: I'd love to hear what is one thing, and I know you probably can't pick just one, but what is one thing that's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? Wow,
1: that's the... (laughs) <laughs> That's such a tough
0: one. <laughs> I know cuz you're like everything. I know. Everything's like,
1: great. <laughs> it really is. Everything is great. My husband is is amazing cuz we just have such a good time together. He's he's just um yeah, I I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I probably wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for him. So, he's if I had to pick one thing, it would have to be him. If I was allowed more than one thing, um <laughs> It would be being able to travel and do what I love to do and not worry about anything. You know, I don't, I get to travel, I get to do what I love, and I get to meet all kinds of people, and I get to share my story. And I love that. I love going to different countries and different cultures. I love that. It's just so, yeah, I feel so blessed. Now, tell me,
0: your husband. I mean, this must have been such a personal development journey for him as well, like witnessing you go through this transformation. Was he on board the whole time? Because I have a lot of people that come to me and maybe they start on this inward journey, but their partner isn't interested. And, you know, I'm curious to know, was your hubby on, on the journey with you every step of the way. If not, like, how can people work
1: through that? So it can be difficult for um, many couples, and I know couples that have split up. Yeah, and you know, if one of them has a near-death experience, they split up because the partner has changed, or if they just have a transformational experience. They don't have to even nearly die, but. Through maybe just transformational experiences, or when they realize that, oh my gosh, I've spent a lifetime of being someone I'm not, and I need to be more authentic and I want to really express myself. And they end up splitting up. But, and I can see it happening because I drifted away from many of my old friends. I was so grateful that my husband stuck by me because he saw uh, what it was doing to me. And I mean, he, um, Gosh, it, it almost makes me emotional to talk about this. But he really has um, the depth of his love for me is just it 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 blows me away because all he wanted was for me to be well and for me to be happy, and he and he was completely on board in, with supporting me because he knew. I know he understood even why I had got cancer and, and so much of it was to do with our culture and we're both part of the same culture. And he saw how this culture was, um, you know, the, the impact it had on me because in my culture, there is a lot of gender disparity. Now he and I, the, when we met, when we got married, we were both rebels. We were both, we had both told our parents, we're not going to marry an Indian person. And we both rebelled against our culture. And so when we met, we kind of just clicked because we were both like, oh my gosh. Um, You know, we were, we had this in common where I had told my parents, I'm not going to marry an Indian man. And he had told his parents, he's not going to have an arranged marriage with an Indian woman. And so we both really like just completely clicked. Um, And so he saw also, like how, um, being seen as a, you know, someone as, um, you know, as, as a woman in my culture, he saw how it impacted me. And I think it was just amazing when I came out of the coma and when I would talk to him and tell him everything, he believed everything and he was willing to move to the new, a new neighborhood for us to start again. Um, and even when I was lying there in the hospital, he was the one that was there by my bedside holding my hand and willing me to come back. And I really feel that even as far as I've come, like after it all happened and um everything that's happened with the book and speaking engagements and all that, I wouldn't be able to do this without him because he's just come with me along for the whole ride. and. So it just, I guess, I i have, it just takes a very special type of person because um, I can completely understand why couples would split up if one of them has a transformational experience. Mm, that support is so important, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, it's so important. It's so important.
0: Now, I can probably guess your answer to this next question, but... Is there anything that you are working on or wanting to improve within yourself at the moment?
1: So if I say, no, there's nothing I'm wanting to improve, it almost sounds arrogant, doesn't it?
0: No, like not at all. That's why I was like, you know, she's (laughs) going to say, no, she's going to say nothing. I knew it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. So it is nothing. And and that's exactly what I wanted to say. And I thought, oh, I hope it doesn't get misinterpreted. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And, and really it's because I, the way I look at it is that it's more about letting, letting go and letting yourself be who you are. And I also sometimes give people the example of, um, you know, um, when Michelangelo, the, the great artist, carved this beautiful angel from this block of marble. And when he was asked, how did you get this beautiful angel from this, you know, misshapen block of marble? Like, you, you're really quite an artist to be able to carve that. And he said, um, "The the the angel was always there. All I did was chip away at what was not angel and I set it free. And so this is how I like people to envision your perfection. When Whenever we feel there's something wrong with us, we feel we need to do more, be more, work harder, work harder at being perfect or what we need to learn more and what courses do we take. In fact, it's the opposite It's the complete opposite. It's about letting go of what is not you and setting yourself free.
0: Oh, yeah. I absolutely agree. That's so beautiful. Now, Let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your books, let's pretend they're already in the school curriculum. (laughs) Do you have one other book that you would love to see in the high school curriculum all over the world?
1: So, a book by another author, you mean, right? Yes. Um, I would... Oh, There's a few and I'm trying to narrow it down. I think that um, one author who I think is really good is Neil Donald Walsh. Oh,
0: yeah. I think We've had him I th- on the show. He
1: is amazing. Wow. He is, he is really amazing. I think if any one of his books was in the high school curriculum, it would be great. Yes, totally agree.
0: Is there any others that you also would like?
1: The Four Agreements is another very good one. Oh, yeah. And they're easy reads as well. Neil Donald Walsh's books are really easy reads. Yeah, they're
0: amazing. That was one of my pivotal books, I'd like to say, that really struck me really, really in the heart and changed a lot for me. So I was so honored to have him on the show.
1: He's wonderful. Yes.
0: Oh, he is. He is. So let's talk about how your day looks now. Do you have a morning routine? How does that look? And how do you prime yourself for the day now?
1: Um, So I usually, if I'm not traveling, I usually wake up around half past seven, somewhere between seven, 7.30. But sometimes I laze in bed a little bit and get out of bed close to eight. Um, I'm not really a morning person when it, uh, even though very often I have to get up in the morning if I have a flight or if I'm doing an event. So left to my own devices, I like to get up between 7.30 and eight and then just relax. So I have a cup of tea Every morning I drink tea, not coffee. Uh, And it's usually English breakfast tea with a drop of milk. And I tend to eat breakfast very late. So in the mornings, I will have a cup of tea and I will leisurely read my emails. After I've read my emails, then I will do some stretches, like yoga stretches, and then I'll go and have my shower. And so I probably won't eat breakfast until about half past nine or 10. And very often I only eat maybe two meals a day. So if I have breakfast at 10 or something, and then I usually, I might have a snack at tea time about three or 4 PM. I love my afternoon cup of tea and I'll have an early dinner, but I like going out for walks. I live near the beach over here. Um, I love writing, so I will spend a a little time writing. I'm writing my third book right now. Um, and, um, I will, and my husband who does a lot of, um, who helps me manage a lot of the work, like he will make sure the website's updated and all kinds of things he does in the background. So he, um, he spends a few hours working and then in the evenings or, Afternoons, we might go to the grocery store together, or'll we'll go for a walk together, and we'll come home and we'll cook dinner together and that's on a typical day, but there are a lot of days where we will earmark the day to do videotaping, and so when I get up, I'll get dressed, I may actually go to the hairdresser, get my hair done, come back, and then we might spend like eleven a m to five p m just recording videos. And, um, my assistant will come over and my husband will record the videos. Um, so that's another type. And then there are a lot of days when I'm traveling where I have, where I'm landing in a hotel and, um, and then, so we're eating at different times. I'm getting used to new time zones and then we have events, speaking events, things like that.
0: Sounds good. Now, can you give us a little sneak peek into your third book, or are you not
1: allowed to say anything just yet? I think I can say something. So um, we, we were tossing up a couple of titles, but really uh, what it is, it is about having that um, inside-out view of the world. And so at first, I, uh, the first title I came up for the book was Confessions of a Recovering Doormat. i like it i know i i liked it but my um publishers said that they laughed and then they said no they wanted to call it inside out so originally i called it um confessions of a recovering doormat and the subtitle was from people pleaser to modern day mystic so that's kind of the concept of it it's like going from people pleaser to so in other words a people pleaser has an outside in view of life where everything you're doing is according to what you think other people want you to do and to becoming a mystic which is having an inside out view of life where you are actually creating life beautiful I love it and when will that be out um it still will be a while, probably not till the end of 2018. So at the end of next year.
0: Oh, well, I look forward to it. I can't wait to read it. Now I'd love to hear what are three things, and I know you probably can't narrow it down to three, but what are three things you're most recently grateful for in your life?
1: Oh, wow. Um, I am grateful for my health, Grateful for the people in my life who I love. Truly grateful for, yeah, everybody I love. I've got some beautiful friends and of course my husband. Grateful for, gosh, everything. Grateful for where I, I love, um, the area, the location where I live. I live in a part of Southern California where it's just, Beautiful. The weather is beautiful. It's just so grateful for being alive here in this world yeah. and living right here where I'm living. Just love it. I love life. Oh, you're so beautiful. Now, I have three little
0: rapid fire questions for you. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health?
1: We can focus on why we want to live long and be healthy? What is our, um, what is the reason? What do we want to do with the rest of our life?
0: Mm, I love that. Now, what is one of the most important things that we could do today for more wealth in our life? So, more abundance in all areas of our life, not just financial or career-wise
1: remove any judgment we have towards people we see that are thriving. And this is something where Mm. sometimes it's very subtle, but ask yourself that when you see someone who is successful and successful in any way, they might be living the kind of life that you wish you had in every way, whether it's because of their family, their relationships, their, their money, whatever. Do you feel envy? or do you feel happy for them the best thing you can do if you want those things for yourself is to remove the blocks by not judging people who have what you want and feel good about them having it
0: yes 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 and what is one of the most important things that we can do today for more love in our life
1: gratitude be grateful for Everything that is good in your life, everything, whether it's the weather, good food, your health, and the more grateful you are, the more you'll notice all the good stuff in your life and your life will just get bigger. Oh, I absolutely agree.
0: And finally, what is one thing that I personally and the listeners can do to serve you today?
1: Oh, wow. That's a beautiful question. Check out my YouTube videos and my, my website. I would love that. And you've reminded me of, of something that I probably should have said. If you don't mind, if I can just throw it in. One of the things that people pleasers are terrible at, they're terrible at receiving. So one thing that everybody can do for themselves to improve their lives and their abundance and everything is to make sure that you receive gracefully. Um, most, a few are really good at giving, but terrible at receiving. So make sure you receive gracefully, um, because the universe is constantly trying to give you gifts, but many of us don't know how to receive. So I just needed to say that. And thank you for, for that, for saying that. And, um, I guess, gosh, I feel so fulfilled. I would love it if you came and checked out my Facebook page check out my Facebook page. And if you click the like button, I'd be really happy actually.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will put links to everything that we have mentioned in the show notes. And I just want to acknowledge you, Anita, for sharing so openly and honestly and just being your big, beautiful, shiny self. It's so beautiful. Your book, Dying to Be Me, which has sold millions of copies worldwide and has been translated into, uh, you know, only 45 languages (laughs) and and has been optioned by Hollywood big time producer Ridley Scott to be made into a full length feature film. Like, no big deal, just Ridley Scott. (laughs) Like, What? (laughs) You are just such a shiny, shiny, beautiful, heart centered human being. I am so grateful that our paths have crossed and we got to have this conversation. For most of this conversation, my eyes have been closed with many times tears rolling down my cheeks and goosebumps all over my arms. And I just want to thank you so much for just sharing so openly and beautifully and gracefully. I'm, I'm just honoured. Thank you so much.
1: Wow. I- I am giving you a cyber hug right now for those <laughs> that just that beautiful <laughs> that beautiful welcome and the beautiful words. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: And you don't know this, but um you were actually interviewed by my one of my best friends, Jess Ainsco, who passed away.
1: Oh Yes.
0: Yeah. So she, um, I, you know, many many years ago, we spoke about your book, and she uh, then went on to interview you. And I remember the interview so well. So I just want you to know that you were such an inspiration to her, and she dearly loved you and got so much out of your book. So I just wanted
1: to thank you from her as well. Oh. Thank you for telling me that that she was that she got so much out of it. I was so sad when I heard she had passed because I have never forgotten that interview. It, she was just such a beautiful soul.
0: Yes. Yeah, she definitely definitely is.
1: I got goosebumps. I think she's right here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel her presence all the time. It's it's so beautiful. So, you know, interviewing you was very it really meant a lot to me because of of that you know that connection that you had with her so thank you so much
1: oh my pleasure I am so glad we did this I really am thank you you asked amazing questions
0: oh thank you so much Anita I am honored and
1: just I hope to squeeze you in real life one day Oh, I look forward to that. When I come to <laughs> Australia, we must. <laughs> I, I look forward to that.
0: Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much, my darling, and we'll stay in touch.
1: We will. Take care, my dear. Thank you. Holy
0: smokes, guys. I have no words other than please go and read her book and share this episode with every single person you love right now. And please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who else you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Anita and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 50. And you can also check out all my other podcasts there too. Also, just a reminder that you can pre-order my next book, Open Wide, The Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex right now now. And if you pre-order before December 18, you can get your hands on some epic bonuses that you don't want to miss out on. Also, tickets for the open wide tour I will be doing with my husband in January and in February are now available and selling fast. So head to NickaMelissa.com to get your tickets today. Thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself possible and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of right now that would benefit from this episode, please go ahead, screenshot it and share it with them either via email or on your social media or text it to them. Do whatever you have to do to get this into their ears right now. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.